And welcome to the Collected Gamers Podcast. Today is Saturday, May 7th, 2016, and this is episode number eight. We are coming earlier than normal due to life and Mother's Day and everything else. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're going to be talking, as always, about pinball video games and some tabletop today. But let's start out with what we've been doing lately. How about you, Dennis? What have you been up to? Well, I just rushed back as fast as I could from the uh, monthly pinball tournament at the 403 Club. Uh, lasted a little longer than I normally do because I actually won the first match before uh, going and losing my two typicals and being sent home. So that's been today's main main thing, at least occupying most of the evening up until this point. And then... Let's see. I've been playing a lot of Far Cry 4. I know I've been saying that on a number of episodes now because I've just been dragging it out. I hadn't put in much time over the prior two weeks, but uh, as of this last week, I have done a lot. I'm over 40% through, and I think that counts like side quests and everything. So in terms of campaign, I get the sense that I'm more at the halfway point. Uh, watched uh, We Were Soldiers. Uh, hadn't seen that in a while. I forgot that Clark, Clark Gregg, who plays uh, Coulson in all the Marvel movies or uh, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he's more on TV now than before. Forgot that he was even in that movie. Uh, yeah, but I, other than that, I haven't watched a lot of films. Yeah, I watched uh, We Were Soldiers this weekend as well without even knowing you were dead until I brought up with you earlier wondering whatever happened to Barry Pepper. I mean, that was just a... Uh, it kind of one of those humorous things that we both watched the same movie without thinking about it, especially for an older movie. Yeah, it was when I'm in a mood for a war movie, there are always a certain set of them that I run through. And so, for example, I don't rewatch Saving Private Ryan. It, I never, it never calls to me to do that. But I do really like We Were Soldiers. It's my favorite film that's set in the Vietnam era. Yeah, I, We Were Soldiers and Band of Brothers are my go-to war filmy type things, though Band of Brothers being the miniseries and huge long eats a lot more time. But those are definitely my go-tos for something like that. And I'd say the last thing I was going to go ahead and mention in terms of doing was something that you and I also both did, though in this case we both knew we were going, and that was to Pinapalooza number three. We were invited. It was it's a for those that aren't aware of it, and there are probably a lot that are not. There's it's a private collector, a pinball collector in northwest Missouri. And so he does an invite event where he allows people to come and they do tournaments and stuff. And he's got a collection of, I believe, over 80 pinball machines. And most of them are very focused on older era. I think there were only two of the modern Stern machines in that collection. So a lot of 90s Williams, a lot of 80 Bally, and a lot of the really popular EMs. And so we spent uh, last Saturday all day there um, from about 1 p.m. till we, we got out of there a quarter after 11. And so that was a lot of fun. I really liked going and doing that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. He has an amazing collection. I was I was super happy with it. I wish I'd done better in the uh, in the main tournament. I know you did much, much better than me in the main tournament. I went four and out. It was a uh, strikeout type. It was a four strikeout type tournament. Uh, I did it better in the side tournament. I, I enjoyed the side tournament until I embarrassed myself on Indy 500, but it, it was still a lot of fun. I was at the halfway point on on the main tournament, so I believe I had three wins and then I had my my four strikes. So yeah, I was pleased with how I did on that. I didn't do very well in the side tournament. I think I was probably the fifth person eliminated, if I remember, fifth or sixth, uh, but it, it was still a lot of fun. It was just because there were so many machines involved with that. My understanding, though, is that one ended up, the side tournament ended up running till after 3 a.m. So in a way, I'm I'm glad. I would have been so tired that I, I don't think I would have performed well eventually at some point anyway. But other, otherwise, it was 
you know, just they kept it running really smooth. And with so many machines, even though there were a lot of people there, I think there were over 60, it still wasn't hard to get on machines and constantly find find machines to play. A lot of the people who were there visiting weren't always in the game room. They were up and talking and socializing. So it wasn't like uh, Texas when there are just queues for all these machines because everyone's there just to play the machines. This is kind of a mix of let's play a bunch of these cool machines and a mix of, hey, this is a pinball social event. Let's talk to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I had a really good time. It was it was pretty fun. Lots of fun machines. Some machines I'd never played before. Some machines I'd never even seen before, but it was definitely a day well spent. So what else have you been up to, Tony? Other than that, well, my youngest had the influenza, so she was down for about a week, and I spent a lot of that. I, so I took a bunch of time off work staying home with her, and I watched a bunch of movies. I plowed through Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 because I haven't watched those since they originally were in the theaters. And um, that movie is good. I mean, really good. It it might be one of my favorite Tarantino films, uh, both of them put together. I also watched Armageddon, seeing as I'd watched Deep Impact not that long ago. I figured, well, we'll watch Armageddon, which has terrible, terrible science, but is freaking hilarious and definitely a lot more fun and I think more watchable now that I've seen it at a remove. I think they're, it's more rewatchable than... Deep Impact is. Uh, I watched Big Trouble in Little China, which is always a great movie. It's a perfect palate cleanser movie. And then I made the mistake. I, I fell. I watched Over the Top. I don't know what oh, I was thinking. The Stallone, the Stallone movie? Yeah. Where he's an arm wrestler? Yes. Oh, wow. I haven't seen that since before I was a teenager. Yeah, it was on Netflix, and I was flipping through stuff in Netflix, and I was just looking up actors just to see what movies they had on Netflix. And I looked Stallone up, and I'm like, oh, look, over the top. I haven't seen over the top since I was, like, in middle school. So I fired it up, and... You know, 15 minutes in, I'm like, I should stop this. But it was like watching a train wreck. I mean, it just kept going <laughs> and going and going. And it was terrible. I mean, I, I don't know why I watched it, but I did. I, I watched the whole thing. And it's not something I have to worry about watching again, unless I forget how bad it is at some point. Yeah, no, I I didn't remember it was bad. I just I remember I saw it once and that's that's about all I remember of it. So, I never think about it when I think of Stallone's career. Yeah, I I really don't either, but I also I I played a lot of Battlefield Gothic until the open beta for Overwatch. And since that opened on the 4th, all I've done is play Overwatch. All my game time has been Overwatch. Um I've spent some time watching, uh, well, yesterday, I spent uh, probably an hour or two somewhere in there watching uh, Twitch feeds of that beta. It's not been a game that I've been inclined to get, but it's interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a good shooter. I'm not in games like this. I'm not the guy who, you know, will see a couple of pixels moving through a window as somebody jumps and take a shot and headshot them and this and that. I can't do that. I'm a terrible shot. And the nice thing I like about Overwatch is there's a lot of characters that, you know what, if you're a bad shot, well, they've got plenty of other things you can do and you can be very helpful and useful to the team and still get without having to be some perfect soldier all the time who hits every shot. I So I've really enjoyed it, but I also like Team Fortress 2 a lot. And that's what this feels like is Team Fortress 2 on crack. 
Okay. Well, I, it's been, yeah, it has been interesting to, to, to witness. And so we'll, I think this game is going to do very well. All the buzz, even before the open beta hit from people who had experience with it was quite positive. I'm not aware of negatives being stated about Overwatch. So yeah, there's nothing, nothing major. I mean, there's negatives about everything, but for, yeah, this is going to definitely make Blizzard some money. And the last, the last thing is I slipped into an extremely late showing of Captain America Thursday night because I'm on call, so I wouldn't be able to see it this whole week. I decided to try and get in and see it, and I liked it a lot. I don't think it was as good as Winter Soldier, but it was better than Age Voltron. Okay, so so it's a very strong movie then. Yeah, it's, it's a strong movie. It, it's definitely up there. I, it's just I don't think it had the same... I mean, it's got some great impact. It's got some great emotion. I mean, it, it's just like Winter Soldier in the way it plays with you. It's not just like a straight action flick. There's a lot of good uh, emotion and stuff in it. I just think it had a couple points when they were setting stuff up that was a little bit slower, uh, where Winter Soldier, even the slow parts in Winter Soldier, felt like they were just cranking along. So I think Winter Soldier is the better film. I still think Winter Soldier is the best Captain America film. But I have to say this uh, Civil War moves uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, down. So the first Avenger is the worst of the Captain America movies. All three are still in my top five Marvel movies, but... Yeah, so it's, it's not moved down much. No, um, no, no. I, I, I mean, my top Winter Soldier movie. for me is uh, is the best Marvel movie. I agree. It's my favorite Marvel movie. Winter Soldier is my favorite. Uh, my number two is, is Guardians. And then it goes, uh, number three would be the original Avengers. And then um, Civil War. Then Captain America, the first Avenger. Then Iron Man. This is the top six. All right. Well, now that we are caught up with our introductions for all of our listeners, let's go ahead and get cracking here with our uh, three main topics. And so first, we will move into our pinball segment. And I guess I will go ahead and start because I have been planning since the last podcast a contest of sorts. I call it the 1980s Pinball Machine Mania Tournament. And so uh, in terms of what that is, I went in and I was thinking about I was looking over the pin side ratings uh, in terms of well, more of the rankings, actually, uh, of all these various games. And I thought, you know, I don't know how accurate that is. It obviously it factors in a lot of a lot of variables for those that aren't familiar with pin side. The way the rating system works to give a rank to a machine, the individual goes and like assesses what they think like like on a scale of one to ten what's the back glass what's the quality of that what's the quality of the sound effects what's what's the uh, gameplay but they also get to determine what percentage those things are weighted for their own evaluation so for example when i rate a machine i do not rate the art very high in terms of a factor of whether or not I'd want to own a machine or, or play a machine or anything with a machine. So for me, I downplay on the art, whereas people who may be very concerned about aesthetics in a home collection might max those sort of figures out in terms of how important that is to them when they get a machine. So anyway, the way that this is going to work is I've, uh, I've got a survey um, that will ask a series of March Madness NCAA style questions. And people will be able to go and vote and they'll be able to vote on whatever criteria they want. And the way I've done it is we've got 64 machines 
And the regions, you know, kind of the regions from basketball are the manufacturers. So I've got a Williams region, a Bally region, a Gottlieb region, and then uh, to get the count so I could have 16 highly, you know, highly rated machines, I have an other region. And that other region consists of Data East, Stern, uh, Zacharia, and Game Plan. And so I just went through and started searching the Pennside top 300 solid state games. Anything from 1980 to 1989 was considered. And then whatever was the number one rated uh, machine for each uh, region or each company, each manufacturer gets to be seated at number one in their respective region and so on and so forth until I had 16 in each of them. And so what we're going to do is in between every podcast, we will run the survey. I'll close it off probably the Friday around noon central time before the Friday before we normally record. So just under two weeks, I'll get those tallies up and then I'll, we'll move on to the next bracket and we'll keep running this until we have a winner and we'll be able to crown the 1980s pinball machine champion. Because if you look at Pinside, the winner's supposed to be Elvira and the Party Monsters because it's the highest rated game from the 80s on that list. And maybe it will win, but I, I don't know. But I wanted to make it interesting in a, in, a, in a competitive way against manufacturers. So in terms of the seeding, I just want to go ahead and uh, let's walk through what we've got here because uh, it, it won't take too long. With yeah, there's some evil fun. seeds in this. I mean, there, there are some things that are, are just wrong. I mean, it, these are fights. Some of these have fights that should be, you know, towards the end, not right in the very first round. Yeah. And you know, it reminds me of, of movie fight sort of scenarios where they do these sort of brackets and you end up with those unfortunate because of the, however the seating's based, critic review or whatever, you get these confrontations where maybe you as a player are like, oh, those should not be meeting yet. Those are an elite eight. Those are a final four. Yeah. It's just, it is, it is what it is. And on some of these, I, I you know, I'll probably have to skip on voting some of them because I don't think there's some of these machines I've never played. So and it's set up that way, so you'll be able to. You just pick one of the two, and you just go down the list. I've broken it up by the manufacturer, so it'll be. It should be pretty easy for people to vote. And we'll have a link on the on the page, uh, the where we put the podcast up on our website. We'll also put a link up on Facebook, so people will be able to access that. Uh, so starting with the Williams bracket, uh, first round competitions are going to be number one seed Earthshaker versus number sixteen seed Grand Lizard, and we've got. The number eight seed F-14 Tomcat is going to face off against the number nine seed Space Station. That's a tough one. Um, yeah, uh, I'll probably go with Space Station on that. But See, we'll, I'm going the uh, other way. Okay, well, F-14 frustrates me because it's so fast. But uh, number three seed is Taxi, and that's facing off against the number 14 seed Space Shuttle. We've got the number six seed Cyclone facing the number 11 seed Joust. Here's an unfortunate one, but I think it'll be pretty decisive. The number two seed Black Knight 2000 versus the number 15 seed Black Knight. Yeah, that, that that's a harsh one, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the number seven seed is High Speed, and it will face the number 10 speed seed Sorcerer. I could see Sorcerer pulling that one. It's very popular. It is. Uh, number four seed is Bonsai Run versus the number 13 seed Swords of Fury. I've never played that game. But Bonsai Run is an amazing game. I, I've played both. Uh, and I, I expect Bonsai to take that one. Uh, and then uh, the number five seed Pinbot versus the number 12 seed Firepower. That is the most wrong one. Those are two of my favorite games ever. Yeah, that one. I'm still thinking on that one because I, I agree. I, I really enjoy both of those machines. So that's the Williams bracket. 
And so the region for Bally looks like this. The number one seed, as I'd mentioned before, Elvira and the Party Monsters is going to face the number 16 seed, Strange Science. The number eight seed, Mousin' Around, will face the number nine seed, Medusa. That's a pretty harsh matchup right off the beginning, too. I know Mousin' Around's super popular, but I like Medusa. That's a good table. I like Medusa a lot as well. My guess, you know, I'm going to speculate. My guess will be Mousin' Around will win that one out. I just, There's a lot of love in, for System 11 games, but we'll just have to see how many sort of hardcore pinball people vote. That'll, that'll affect a lot of it. Medusa, hands down, has the better art package. But yeah. Uh, number three seed is Fathom, and that will face the number 14 seed, Fireball 2. The number six seed, Embryon, will face the number 11 seed, Skateball. The number two seed, Centaur, will face the number 15 seed, Frontier. The number seven seed, Flash Gordon, will face the number 10 seed, Centaur 2. The number four seed, Eight Ball Deluxe, will face the number 13 seed, Fireball Classic. Fireball is the- all over that list. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, well, I guess because they made a second one, it was so popular the first go around. Uh, And then finally for Bally, the number five seed is Xenon, and that will face the number 12 seed, 8-Ball Deluxe Limited Edition. Now that's a harsh matchup too. Yeah, I I think 8-Ball Deluxe LE is so low-seeded on pin side solely because of the horrible back box, the back glass which sits on the weird little uh, leftover back box thing that they were doing in that era. Otherwise, it's the exact same gameplay as 8-Ball Deluxe. I'm voting 8-Ball Deluxe LE on that because I think 8-Ball Deluxe is a better layout than Xenon. But but for me, that's a simple one. Yeah, but Xenon's got some amazing art. I I really like the art on Xenon. It does. And so I... And I think Xenon on art would beat any version of Eight Paul Deluxe. So it just comes down to what what people prefer when they what they want to evaluate when they consider the whole package. It's entirely up to them uh, how they want to how to weight it. I'm not going to give any guidance on that. That's solely up to each voter. <laughs> so let's move to the third region, Gottlieb. Uh, number one seed is Haunted House that faces the 16 seed Volcano. The number eight seed is the Amazing Spider Man. It faces the number nine seed Arena. The number three seed is Big House. It faces the number 14 seed Genesis. The number six seed is Devil's Dare, and it will face off against the number 11 seed Bone Busters Incorporated. The number two seed is Black Hole, and that faces the number 15 seed Bounty Hunter. The number seven seed is Robo War, and that faces the number 10 seed Bad Girls. The number four seed is TX Sector. I don't know if that's how it's said, but that's how I always say it. And it faces the number 13 seed Lights, Camera, Action. And finally, the number five seed is Spirit, and that faces the number 12 seed Mars, God of War. Going through that list, I was surprised at just how few of those Gottliebs I'd actually played. I thought I'd played a lot more Gottliebs from the 80s than that, but apparently not. No, I'm... Yeah, when I was going through on this, and actually on the pin side rankings, it takes quite a long time before you hit Haunted House in the list of of, of seeding. And I, yeah, I have very little experience on a lot of these Gottliebs. I'm probably going to have to leave a number of these blank, unless I want to try and research them. But without being able to play them even virtually, uh, yeah, I'll probably just have to see what the what the listeners think if they've got any hands-on experience. I've played less than half of these. Yeah, so. I've played less than half of them. But, you know, Black Hole's a really good game in my book. I liked it. But, uh, yeah, no, Black Hole, I'm, I'm not surprised that it comes in at the number two seed. We'll see how that one fares. It's it's definitely my weakest region on knowledge. And then the final region's the other region. And it's just, as I noted before, I just couldn't get 16 games in the top. I, bar- I barely got through and found 16 for each of these manufacturers in the top 300 on Pennside because most of those 
uh, machines in the top 300 are 90s and beyond, not the 80s. So we've got uh, number one seed is Stern's Sea Witch, and it will face Stern's Galaxy, which is the 16 seed title. The number eight seed is Quicksilver. That's a Stern machine. It will face the number nine seed Torpedo Alley, which is by Data East. The number three seed is a game called Andromeda is by Game Plan. It will face the number 14 seed Flight 2000, which is a Stern title. The number six seed is Nine Ball. That's by Stern. And it faces another Stern, the number 11 seed Big Game. The number two seed is Stern's Stargazer, and it will face Stern's Lightning at the 15th seed. Number seven seed is Laser War. That's a Data East game, and it will face the number 10 seed Catacomb, which is a Stern title. The number four seed is Data East. It's called Time Machine, and it faces another Data East game, the 13th seed Robocop. The number five seed is Farfalla. That's from a company called Zakaria, and that will face Data East's Monday Night Football at the 12th seed. So that's the current bracket of 64 titles, and... We'll get that voting uh, up once I get the podcast up, actually, and then we'll see where everyone thinks and falls on that, and we'll be running that for quite a while. It'll take us a few months to get through it since we're going to close it off for each uh, podcast period, but I think it'll be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm hoping that it gets a good response, and if it does... Uh, I've been, you know, we can do things like this with with other ideas. Uh, obviously, we could do another generation, another decade if we wanted to. Another idea that you and I had discussed is maybe doing something with pinball designers and maybe putting them as the regions and seeing just that gets challenging, too, because you have to have if we do it as big as this, you know, we have to make sure they have enough games under their belt. Yeah, we might have to par that down to a starting at a smaller level, but I, it yeah. would definitely be worth it because having each designer eliminate down to their best game and then having their best game go up against other designers' best games, I think that one could be a lot of fun. So that's it about the Pinball Bracket Tournament. So let's go to our other uh, pinball topic that we have today, and that is homebrew retheming. Now, we've played uh, some rethemes when we were in Texas and this and that, and we've talked to to some people uh, about them, and this is something that was running ideas in my head particularly. Uh, I came up with one. I'm not actually going to talk about it today because there's it was so major change-wise that I'm only about halfway through thinking what I would do to it, and I'm not willing to finish until I have everything ironed out in my head. But what we did is we both picked – a theme and a game, and we came up with our own little fantasy uh, retheme of it. And would you like to start, Dennis? Uh, sure, I will. I, and I should say, going into this, I've, I took it very directly as a homebrew concept. So I wasn't trying to think of a machine that I would redesign that would sell or have mass market appeal. It was just something that if I were to do it, and I would want something that would just be fun for me, and I would think would be a great idea. What would I do? And so that's what, that's what my concept is. And what I would propose doing is I would take Stern's 2008 Batman, the dark Knight table, but I would change it. So instead it would be themed based off of college humor's bad man skits. And for those that aren't familiar, you can search YouTube for Batman and you'll, you'll get a whole playlist of them. But basically college humor went and they took uh, bat, the concept of, of the Nolan Bale Batman uh, series. And what, but what if Batman was, you know, stupid? What would, if he was incompetent? What if he was terrible at everything he does? And so 
and I just think with a concept like that, it lends itself to taking a Batman machine. And I'm most familiar with Batman the Dark Knight. And given that Batman the Dark Knight is indeed the movie or one of the you know, the movie franchise that Batman is based off of, it just lends itself really well. So in terms of what I would what I would do to have fun with this is uh, the key changes. One of the shots on that table is there's a scarecrow multiball off on the right hand side. I would keep the scarecrow scarecrow multiball. Uh, and keep its activation the same, but I change change it so that the jackpots when you're when you do the jackpot shots, it would be to uh, explore Batman's fears. Each time you complete a relevant shot, the Batman character will say one of the college humor callouts from when he gets hit by the scarecrow's gas. So he'll be, you know, there'll be you get gas, and he'll be like Roombas, and then you'd be like what, and then run through that where it'd just be his lines, but it'd be. How how does it know where to go if you don't push it? Or Girl Scouts, ukuleles, sleeveless t-shirts. And it will run through all of them. And then once the way I see it is once you've done all of his all of his fears, then the, then it goes into super jackpots basically and just be a super jackpot call out. But I, like I think that. it'd be funny because yeah, the audio part of that uh, that whole skit is 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 the fun part of it. So I just think it works really well as one of their more clever uh, Batman uh, shorts that they did. Uh, another change I would do is uh, Joker multiball. I want to change that to Harvey Dent multiball because one of the things that constantly happens in the Batman series is Batman will come up and say, "Harvey Dent, can we trust him?" So. I want that to be the speech prep whenever you're locking the balls for the multi-ball. So that will be, you know, that'll be a throwback to the to the shorts. And then when the mode starts, Batman's going to try and convince Harvey Dent to work against Two-Face. And this falls back on one of the other skits for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, where Batman doesn't know that Two-Face and Harvey Dent are separate people. So whenever one face is turned to him, he thinks Harvey Dent, put down the gun. Or, or actually, that would be the that would be the Two Face one. When he sees Harvey Dent, he's like, "Harvey, where, when you see Two Face, try and disarm him. We got to stop him." Sort of thing. So you'll be doing that. So when the jackpots are going, it's going to be either the Dent side or the Two Face side, and the callouts are going to be relevant to that as you start to score the points, and it will just basically walk you through the skit. So that's my second major change. My third change is the Dark Knight table has a Batmobile ramp. I don't want it to have anything to do with the Batmobile anymore. Instead, I want it to be based off of Batman finding his voice. In terms of that, what will happen is you will just shoot the ramp over and over. Each successive shot is going to work through Batman trying to get down the Batman voice. And so in the skit, it'll be like when it would start and it's the it's the scene from the from Batman Begins where he's got the the corrupt cop upside down and he wants to know where the where are the other drugs going through the skit he, he's saying it wrong so he'll be he, he holds them upside down and he's like where are the other drugs going and so that's the first voice and then he starts he just starts doing more and more different weird accents and then once you've hit the ramp enough times and it will be every single one of those iterations that was done in the skit. Finally, his voice is hoarse and he'll be, where are the other drugs going? And so that you get a major score bonus for achieving the final true voice. So those are the three main elements that I would do. The rest of it would just be the, the game, uh, the Dark Knight pinball machine has a left orbit mode select. And so it's just the modes will be different. 
So you'll have a, a Riddler mode where Batman is trying to solve his riddle and Batman's bad at riddles, even when the Riddler is basically telling him the answer. So it'll go through that. Uh, there'll be one for the skit where he goes in to interrogate the Joker like in The Dark Knight, but it's the wrong clown. So he's interrogating the wrong Joker. There'll be a mode for where Batman has met with met with Ping and captured Penguin, and Penguin's explaining that Batman is actually killing people, but he thinks they're just falling asleep. Um, there'll be one dealing with a Superman team up. There'll be one where Batman uh, is blowing his cover, and everyone knows that he's Bruce Wayne. And then there'll be the the mode where Batman needs to say goodbye before he goes and saves the city in the final movie, but the goodbye just doesn't ever end. So that would replace all of the existing modes that exist on the current table. By and large, the toys that come with the table could stay as is. I would throw off the Batmobile, as I said before. There's no reason for it to be there because I'm not doing anything involving the vehicle. But the playfield and the back glass art would need to be reskinned to be entirely like the college humor version and new dots. You'd have to program new dots to be uh, playing up on all of that. Or honestly, just take a little laptop screen, plop it in where the dot matrix is, and instead actually show uh, scenes from the clips themselves. But well, that's my idea. Uh, so that would be my homebrew re-theme. If I had infinite resources and infinite patience, that would be the first one I would want to do. That's that that that's pretty impressive, and I love those skits. So that actually, I really like that. Um, <clears throat> my homebrew re-theme is actually not the one I would do if I had infinite money and infinite resources, because if I had that, I'm still not done, because the one I chose has such deep rules and has such deep everything that even in my head I'm starting to lay things out on paper and I still don't have enough down that I wasn't comfortable going ahead with it so I went with my second idea that I had and it's a it's not nearly as involved of a switch up as yours is uh because I'm going to start with an F14 Tomcat Williams from 87 and I'm going to convert it into a new Battlestar Galactica pen uh featuring primarily the Vipers and Viper pilots and stuff uh, the big main changes are the uh, going to be completely changing all of the art so that uh, all the F-14s and everything are pulled out. We're going to have to go reskin to match Battlestar Galactica motif uh, with the Battlestar Galactica symbols and stuff. I want to replace the landing strips uh, with the launch pods, but I want to do it in such a way so the right landing strip is Galactica's left launch pod, since Galactica's right launch pod was offline throughout the entire show. So you'll just see the launch pod and a little bit of Galactica as it disappears off the playfield. And then the left ramp will be Pegasus's right launch pod, and then Pegasus disappears off the playfield on that side. And then all the uh, MiGs and everything I would change into Cylon Raiders. Now, the big things uh, otherwise are going to be the uh, in the game, you know, you spell Tomcat and the, all that stuff. We're going to change all that to where it says Vipers and, and just make it match the motif. And the big thing is changing the uh, uh, callouts because that's this one of the hardest parts for me is because the callouts on F-14 are fun. And, and, and Yakov's callouts are awesome, but there's no, really no good Cylon callouts, especially for... Uh, the kind of theme I'm aiming for overall. So what I would mainly do would be go for the callouts of the pilots and Galactica talking to each other during combat and the pilots snarking on each other and Starbuck being herself and to kind of fill in the comedy and the the fun and to give the atmosphere. 
And then the uh, like the the kill Yakov sign would get changed to kill Scar from the episode Scar. That's one of my favorite episodes of New Battlestar Galactica. Uh, when they're hunting down the one Cylon Raider who's like a super ace and this and that. And those are going to be the major changes. I mean, all the shots are going to remain the same. They're, they'll just have have renames and this and that. And everything is going to primarily be the same. It's just going to be this one is pretty much just re-arted and different callouts. And it's not like, I mean, it doesn't have the full DMD, of course. So I don't have to worry about new dots or any of the fancy stuff. Now, the theme I was originally working with, I'm still working on. It's just so much of a change. I hope to be able to talk about it next time we talk about something like this because i'm just i couldn't get it done i just kept working on it and working on it and working on it. i just kept finding new things to add and i'm just I, I was just running out of time yeah yeah well, well we can work it in even if i don't have another idea we can i'm sure people will love to hear a, another concept especially as one as elaborate as i know you, you've given me some indications already and i won't leak anything to anyone but it is it is pretty significant so yeah it's 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 pretty major like i said it's the one i was working on for this and then I just kept adding stuff and coming up with different ideas and things where I'll just, I was just sitting down at times, looking at pictures of the play field, redesigning it in my head. And it's just, there's too, there's too much. I'm not, I'm not happy with where it is. I'm happy with where it's going. I'm just not ready for it yet. Well, let's go ahead and transition now over to our second segment of the evening, which is video games. Uh, We do have a number of them to talk about. And the first one I'd like us to go ahead and start with is Dawn of War three. Now we've mentioned Dawn of War uh, two, or I mentioned it briefly when we were talking about another uh, game that was coming out from Relic uh, on prior episode. But this has been a big announcement um, for PC gaming that uh, an announcement trailer hit for Dawn of War 3. Didn't have any gameplay. But from what I've seen and more specifically read, my understanding is you will play as three different races in the campaign, it will have large armies. It will have bases. There will be some form of a new cover system. And you will collect and level up elite units. So that's not a lot to go on, but let's talk about it anyway. Tony, your thoughts about Dawn of War 3. In the grim future of video games, there is only Warhammer 40k. That's what it seems like lately. There's a lot of Warhammer 40k games out here. I mean, we were just talking about Battlefleet Gothic last episode. And now Dawn of War three, and they well, people love the lore. Other, I guess I, I love the lore. I mean, I can understand why. It's just there's so many hitting all at once in this short span, and not just the 40k. There's also the fantasy stuff that's hit pretty hard lately too. I mean, Vermintide came out right at the start of the year and has been really popular. It's just. Uh, I think they've done a good job of packing all their stuff in, so they've got enough different people working on it. Um, I like I like Dawn of War. Uh, I prefer Dawn of War One because I like the larger armies, uh, but Dawn of War Two was a lot of fun. Fun, so I, I like if they can keep the fun of Dawn some of the fun of it and have the larger armies. And one of the things they were talking about that I really like is I like it when your troops gain experience and level and get better. I, it makes me feel more attached to the troops when they actually are somebody who's been around and it's just not, oh, rifleman group number whatever, go out there and die and I will bring up another one to replace you. When these are people who've actually been fighting with you for a while, they they mean more. That's a good point. And I think that it seems like Relic's direction has been to go more towards Dawn of War 1 
So I'm guessing that's what the feedback told them to do. I did not play the first Dawn of War. I did play, and I enjoyed Dawn of War too. But there, there are all, almost everything that has been highlighted were key differences that have reverted to Dawn of War one in favor rather than sticking with what Dawn of War two did. So the three races in the campaign, Dawn of War two, you only played as the uh, Marine guys. That was at it. least until the uh, the DLCs brought others in. I thought. Okay. And I never, I didn't play the DLC. So yeah, but, the DLCs had campaigns for other races. Okay, so the main campaign original for the original for Dawn of War Two was just the Space Marines, and then now multiplayer, you were you could do the all the various races. But uh, it also didn't do big armies. It was like you were little squads, like little three man squads, primarily, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, it, again, was, it was small unit tactics. Right. Uh, campaign never had you build bases. That that wasn't that wasn't part of it. You were going in, and you you would have a base, but a lot of times it would be when you'd hit certain checkpoints or reach certain criteria, you'd be dropped in new units or new supplies or something along those lines. So those are all things that, well, other than the I don't know how many races you played in the Dawn of War One campaign, but otherwise these are changes back towards Dawn of War One versus what was done in Dawn of War Two, and. So my guess is, looking at all of this, the decision and the feedback was go more traditional real-time strategy. I thought Dawn of War 2, when I played it, while I enjoyed it, it felt quite a bit different than most real-time strategy games. Like not building the bases was a huge deviation. Uh, yeah, not- it, it was felt – it was definitely – uh, more of a squad shooter type thing. I mean, it was almost not not a turn based squad shooter, but it had the same feel as a small unit tactics type thing, because the lack of base control and the lack of a lot of things really it threw me off when I first started playing it. Yeah, I actually, I really that was probably my favorite uh, difference from a normal real time strategy was not having to construct the base. I, which is weird because that's one of my things that historically speaking, I probably spent more time building the bases than worrying about building the proper army balances and stuff. But I really liked that change. The limited units was, was awkward for me though. That was quite a bit different, but so anyway, Dawn of War 3, more news will come out as time advances. There's not a lot to go off of right now, but if you are a real-time strategy fan and, or a Warhammer 40 K fan, keep your eyes peeled for more news. Let's go to our second video game we want to talk about, which is Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Trailer dropped earlier in the week. There's been a lot of buzz about it. Tony, got any preliminary thoughts? Yeah, it's um I knew the the way Call of Duty had been moving forward uh ever since its humble beginnings of being the perfect first person shooter and moving away from that and getting more and more modern. Uh I knew they were going forward in time. Uh, I was surprised to see that they're jumping all the way up to space combat and going to different worlds and stuff. I mean, when the in the trailer, you're going through and it's like, well, they're in space and they're here and there. And then all of a sudden there's a scene where you just see a giant ringed planet in the background. It's like, yeah, they've, they've taken Call of Duty all the way to space. I mean, space, space, but Sorry, Call of Duty. Portal 2 voice. I do find it humorous that Call of Duty now has more space combat action in it than Star Wars Battlefront. I don't necessarily <laughs> think that that's a good thing. That's a good point, though. That is a good point. I mean, I loved the. I, I played started playing Call of Duty early. I played all the first four Call of Duties up through Modern Warfare. I played them all 
pretty religiously. And I've played some of the Call of Duty since Modern Warfare, but I don't think any of them have been as good as Modern Warfare. And speaking of Modern Warfare, uh, the most interesting part of the trailer was the remastered Modern Warfare uh, that they were talking about being released with it if you get the $80 edition of the game. But I don't know if we need to spend $80 to get an extra game to go with the remastered uh, modern warfare. That's what I would really want. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. It could be a really good game until we give it a try. We're not really going to know, but something about it just feels a little off to me. Uh, and I, I need to note as well. I am not a call of duty player. I don't play other than a local, like almost land party esque multiplayer call of duty was not something I did a lot of online multiplayer with. I did a little bit in three, very little bit. And that was it in terms of online. I, I played localized versions of multiplayer with Modern Warfare and um, World at War. And I uh, the last campaign I played through was Modern Warfare, so Call of Duty 4. I, I played uh, the, first, uh, the first four, though. I have played all those campaigns. And I enjoyed them. Uh, I'd say overall, I thought that Infinite Warfare looked pretty. But... To me, the trailer made the game look like it was a cross between Halo and Titanfall. and Yeah, it did have that feeling now that you say it. That makes a lot of sense. And it's just like, and I can't, I can't help but wonder, and I, I, I want to think this surely isn't true, but this is an Infinity Ward uh, iteration. Uh, Activision, I believe, has three companies that rotate through and do Call of Duty at this point. So they for years it was Infinity Ward and then Treyarch and then Infinity Ward, and they just cy- were cyclic like that. And I think there's a third in the mix now. The thing is... Uh, Infinity Ward isn't the same Infinity Ward as it once was. And of course, there's always turnover. But a lot of the the old heads of Infinity Ward are, they went out and they formed Respawn Entertainment. And Respawn Entertainment is the company that did Titanfall. So to me, I just, I looked at this and I thought, are you guys really like trying to send a message to Respawn and make your game look like Titanfall? Are you going to try and out Titanfall, Titanfall? Because Titanfall had a lot of flaws, but uh, mechanically, it's very sound. Uh, and then I thought, well, maybe that then likewise is like, what's this with the ships and flying and the planets in the background? This feels very Halo. Why are you trying to be modern Halo? I I, I don't know. I, I, it didn't get me excited. But uh, historically speaking, the stories that have been told in the Call of Duty universe, at least on the campaigns, have been by and large, I believe, pretty good. And so, but, you know, I'm saying this without having played the more recent ones, but uh, from what I've read, and and we'll get into a little bit more here when we transition to the battlefield, but, but it's something that they might be able to execute really, really well in terms of the story. If I were to get Call of Duty, it's only going to be for the campaign. I, it's the same sort of thing that Overwatch ran into for me. I do very little dedicated multiplayer, what I call bro shooter time. And so I'm pretty picky bro. about yeah, <laughs> pretty, say, bro. yeah. And so I'm pretty picky about what games I'm willing to bother to learn well enough to do well at. And Titanfall wasn't one I was even ever going to do, except it was on tremendous sale. And I I do Titanfall from time to time, but the one I put the most hours in is Battlefield. And so Battlefield already has me on the multiplayer standpoint. Uh, Call of Duty is not going to get me for that, but they can win me over with campaigns, but not $80 to replay uh, Call of Duty 4, even though it's my favorite Call of Duty. 
Yeah, it's my it's my favorite Call of Duty campaign as well. And also, just another thing out there, Infinite Warfare is a terrible title. I mean, it remind the first thing I thought of when I heard Infinite Warfare was uh, an old sci-fi book called The Forever War, which is a massively depressing. I mean, it's a really really amazing book, but it's really depressing because it involves a lot of time lag and wars that last forever because, you know, it takes forever to get between solar systems. So, hey, look, my family died 4000 years ago because we're still fighting the same war we started, and I've only aged, you know, 50 years because of how long it takes to travel from place to place and and how everything just ends up terrible and everything's changed by the time every by the time the war's over and you get to go home, everything's so different that it's like you're the aliens coming back. I was a depressing book as much as I enjoyed it. And Infinite Warfare just sounds like, this is Call of Duty. The war never ends. You'll fight until you die. Then you'll fight more. It's it's. I hate the title. I hate well, it. Well, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, I, I assume that they're trying to say, well, space is infinite. So it's, you know. So that infinite warfare means we're in space, but no, it's it's on the surface of it. I see the subtitle, and I'm like, infinite warfare. So you're saying that the, the it's an endless war. The war never ends. Do the troop? Do the soldiers keep coming? Are we going back to respawn closets where they just keep pouring out until you actually get to the next checkpoint? Which was a, a an annoyance that was in the older Call of Duties, and you wondered why you could never kill all the enemies because they just kept coming infinitely unless you moved on. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I think it is trying to sound spacey and instead it sounds lamey to me, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things. And I think what hurts it is that, uh, battlefield did such a better job with the release just a couple days later. I mean, the title is kind of a throwback battlefield one. And the game's a throwback. I mean, it's World War One. Call of Duty left its roots, kept going forward, 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 up into space, and Battlefield decided it was time to jump back. And I really like that trailer a lot. The trailer looked good. I just saw it actually a few minutes ago. And I I am excited. I'm I'm cautiously excited. I've I've on occasion probably mentioned, I can't remember to whom, that I've wondered why there've never really been a lot of gaming companies that have been really willing to take on uh, World War One as a just as a setting. And I've seen more lately, but not shooters uh, like Valiant Hearts, for example, is a sort of a puzzle game where you're in World War One. But you know, it was the first modern war. War, so I think in a lot of ways it it could work. Um, because you do have you do have air vehicles, you do have land vehicles. Uh, obviously, you have the infantry involvement, and you you can even go into naval stuff if you want to. So it it, it offers up all those sort of elements. But the uh, the nature of war in World War One was very static, other than at the early part of the war. And so I've often assumed maybe part of the issue is. In terms of, I want to know, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on it. I guess what I want to say is I'm concerned about the campaign. I'm concerned for a couple of reasons. The trailer looked great. So I, I have I have hope, but I've seen decent trailers out of DICE on their Battlefield games before, and they have had some really bad campaigns. I hate saying it because I love Battlefield's multiplayer, but Battlefield 3 had the worst single-player shooter campaign I have ever played on any system. Ever. And Battlefield 4 
was not that bad, but it wasn't memorable. And so the last good campaign I played was Battlefield Bad Company 2. And it wasn't as funny as Bad Company 1 was, but at least the story was entertaining. Uh, and so, you know, I want them in a way, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to say I'm a war fan because war is bad. But from a historic standpoint, World War One has always been the one that interested me the most. I didn't, it, everyone was always writing books about World War II. Uh, I had grandparents in World War II. I didn't want to hear any more about World War II. I wanted to learn about World War One. I. I always thought that one was the one that was interesting. And so I would love to see something told in that. This trailer hints at some pretty epic elements. Like there's a part where the, uh, it seems uh, the protagonist perhaps, or some other soldier looks like he may be breaking under the shelling. It makes me wonder, are they actually, are they going to do Verdun? Because that would be a really epic scene if they can do it justice. Uh, so I think the multiplayer dice knows what they're doing on multiplayer. I'm sure battlefield one is going to feel and play awesome on multiplayer, but I do worry that they're not going to tell a competent story on, on the campaign. And I will personally be really annoyed if they muck around and as the first major shooter to take on world war one and they screw it up with their terrible storytelling, like they've been doing the last two major battlefields. Yeah, I don't recall ever playing a Battlefields uh, campaign. I think I've played Battlefield multiplayer at a friend's place at some point in the past, but I've never played the uh, campaign at all on any of them. But we can hope. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff to pull from. They've got a lot of stuff to work with. Uh, I just don't know. Like you said, if it's something that they're that they can actually pull off, because some of the stuff that there's things that happened in World War One that never happened in any other war. I mean, things were just a little different and played out a little different, even though it's the first modern war. They were just putting their toes in the water. Um, I've been saying for a while, I've been kind of wanting these style of games to get back to their roots. I wanted to see another World War Two game and a World War One game is just as good to me. Um We'll just have to see how it turns out. And in this, to me, this seems like a big genre-defining battle between these two. They've always kind of duked it out. But for them to, one, jump far to the future and one to go so far back, it's going to be a very interesting release season when they come out. Yeah, uh, I think Battlefield's still got a pretty up, big uphill climb. Uh, Call of Duty routinely does significantly better than Battlefield in terms of sales. Battlefield still, I mean, it is it is a major it is a major player. It is EA's big shooter, and so they're gonna they're gonna invest a lot of a lot of resources behind it, and you can see that in the trailer. Also, uh, in a way, I think it may though they could do this with Call of Duty as well. The, the main thing about multiplayer in the Battlefield series is it's very squad-based. And that's part of the reason why I like it. You were talking back when you were in the intro about Overwatch and how you like to be able to play the characters that didn't have to rely on the Twitch shooting. And in Battlefield, you have characters, obviously, it's, it's more... You have support characters and such as well. They're not quite as Team Fortress 2 oriented per se, but like, you know, if you want to be the sniper type that is a really accurate shooter, that's an option for you. If you want to be the person with the med packs, that's an option. If you want to be the person that uses the explosives like RPGs and such, that's an option. And the best sort of squad is one that actually has a mix of those things because they have benefits and they play off each other really well. So it's always been far more tactical than Call of Duty was, which was respawn, run forward, shoot people, die, respawn. And so that's what I like about Battlefield. And in the in the nature of trench warfare and all of that, 
having little squads moving around and accomplishing things is the only practical thing they can do. You can't, unless you were to try and pretend that you could reinvent World War One and say, well, this massive armies are just going to be rolling on into each other and stuff. And it's like, that's not really, ha- it was, you know, it was really static front. So you have to do things on that more squad-based level. And that lends itself really well to how Battlefield just approaches things in general. But it looks fun. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been playing Star Wars Battlefront, so I haven't really touched a, a Battlefield game since Battlefield 4. So it's been a couple of years now, and I would like to get my hooks into this one because it looks neat. It does look neat. Yeah, I've been... I'll, I'll be looking forward to see how it turns out. The I like the squad-based aspect. That's what I've been liking in Overwatch, that, hey, this guy, we, we're having problems over here. We need a healer or we need a tank over here, somebody who, who's a meat sponge uh, while we try and break uh, their hold on the line, stuff like that. I like that teamwork working together. And so it's not like the sitting on Halo, going on legendary mode and just going, okay, you stay long enough that when I respawn, I can get up and throw a grenade and then, and then I'll hold it while your dead body runs back so you can throw a grenade. We'll just blow our way forward type stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The squad thing is the main thing that really uh, resonates with me with, with Battlefield. And it was uh, interesting how I ever got into the game, but uh, that is a story for another time. We have another video game topic instead that I'd like to transition to, which relates again to something that we've both been playing, but this is a new version, if you will, and that is uh, Pinball Arcade, Farsight Studios, is coming out with Stern Pinball Arcade. And this uh, partnership between Farsight and Stern was announced quite a while ago. I want to think it was October 2015. And there hasn't really been any news on it until this week. And now there has been news. So uh, I guess in terms of uh, starting it off, let me just summarize what I know is, is the case uh, this game, uh, Stern Pinball Arcade, is supposed to have better physics when compared to the Pinball Arcade. When the game launches, it will come with ACDC, Star Trek, and then three games that are also available on the Pinball Arcade already, which are Starship Troopers, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Ripley's Believe It or Not. In addition to those launch titles, Ghostbusters is slated for some fall release this year, but but it won't actually be when the game comes out. Though my understanding is Stern Pinball Arcade is coming out in the early fall. So I guess it'll be sometime before December uh, would be my, would be my guess. Yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder if it's going to be the Ghostbusters pro table or is it going to be a premium and LE table? Are we going to, are they going to have the physics in place to try and create, do the Magnus sling type setup? Or I wonder how that is. I think we'll probably find out later, but it's just a curious question. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was going to initially say premium because I had read Farsight respond to someone indicating that they were doing the premiums for ACDC and Star Trek and that the, so my sense was their plan was it was going to be premium tables for everything, but obviously that's that's a bit presumptuous because we don't we don't really know. I can imagine that they could do the Magnus slings, uh, given that they have Magnus saves and such already on the the machines that incorporated those. Granted, the slings are far more intricate than a mere Magnus Magnus save is, or, but. Uh, so no, I don't know for sure. But so far, all indications that I have seen have been. Uh, that they will do stern premiums when there are premiums and pros. 
So we were actually going to talk about the Kickstarter was the big plan when I uh, put down this in, in our notes to, to what we're going to do for the show, because ACDC was going to require a Kickstarter and they were doing it for over $108,000, which is huge. It's a huge sum of money for a single table, far more, I believe, than they've ever had to raise before. And I think it was off to a decent start, but on the 5th, they uh, they pulled the Kickstarter. They canceled it, but they didn't, they didn't post an announcement. But then they emailed information to anyone who backed it, and I believe they've posted this on Farsight's news section of their website at this point. I'm not going to read the whole statement, but long story short, that due to the response that the the Stern Pinball Arcade has been receiving, they were able to enter into some form of new partnership that allowed them to fully fund the ACDC license without having to use the Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter was canceled because they don't need the $108,000 anymore. Some other deal was arranged. And that's wonderful. I mean, because that was a huge Kickstarter pull. And while I had no doubt they could have gotten it, it really hurt the thought of it i mean and but launching without acdc would have also been uh, subpar i mean acdc is one of the better pens they've kicked out uh that's in the new lineup and it's going to make this game a lot better yeah i my my sense i wasn't too surprised that they did uh, initially call for a kickstarter on acdc obviously we've seen them have to kickstarter several other uh games especially if they're uh, based off of popular uh, franchises that maybe you have to get actors rights for and those actors command a large premium. So, you know, we, yeah, cause they had a Kickstarter doctor who just not that long ago. Yep. Uh, the, they had to do Terminator two. And I, my understanding was that was mostly uh, to get Arnold, uh, you know, to cover that license. Uh, they had to do Adam's family. And I think the, you know, there were issues because they had to go to all those various uh, actors who were on the back glass and such because the movie contracts at the time, my understanding again was that those didn't include rights for each cast member. So, and we've seen that crop up like with the discussion about Highway Pinball's Alien and why the Playfield art didn't have any of the movie cast because the movie cast couldn't couldn't be secured with the movie itself uh, other than perhaps being able to play clips. To actually use the likeness of Sigourney Weaver from a movie that old, you have to get her permission specifically. So anyway, uh, the sense has been that probably as of around Star Trek, which is still in production by Stern, it's coming, it's in its third year of, of production now, I believe. Uh, it seems that Stern has been securing the rights to digital versions, at least as of that point moving forward. But ACDC slightly predates this, so it looked like that was what was going to have to go on. Uh, but perhaps I, I have no idea what the new partnership is. If the partnership is between Stern and Farsight, uh, it's more likely a, an arrangement, I would think, between ACDC and Farsight. Uh, and I have no idea the details of it. But I, I'm I'm really glad that this went away because the thing that that I'm more annoyed by, again, not surprised, but I'm more annoyed by is uh, Farsight has indicated the new Stern tables are going to be ten dollars each. That's pretty high for pinball, virtual pinball table. I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, here I am complaining about that when I, you know, when I have to think about what dollars I talk about when I'm talking about changing my collection around of actual pinball machines. But Zen Pinball, which does Pinball FX2, they generally do a pack of three for $10. And my understanding is the games, uh, the tables that are on the pinball arcade that are coming over, like Starship Troopers, those will be five. 
but things that are just in the stern, like Star Trek and ACDC and Ghostbusters, will be 10 apiece. Uh, so it's a bit, I mean, when you think about it, six pinball tables gets you the price of a standard retail release. That's, that's unusual. Normally you, you don't, you're not talking in those dollar amounts and thinking that far past a, you know, going and buying battlefield one you, is the equivalent of six pinball tables virtually. Yeah. That's kind of, that, that's definitely a little high. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to pay it. People are going to be willing to pay it. Um, but I don't think it'll be something where I'm going to grab every machine. I'm not going to spend $10 to get me a WWE. Uh, but most of there's several of them that I can definitely see. I would spend the money to get the machines. Those new machines are a lot of fun. And there's so many places you can go play them still that having it, being able to practice at home and go, it's going to make a difference. I think they'll do okay. I just, I'm with you. I, I wish the tables were a little cheaper each well the thing but. the thing is they they haven't uh i saw someone ask them about it they farsight indicated they haven't decided yet whether or not they're going to do seasons which is what they did with the pinball arcade where yeah the tables are maybe five dollars a piece on the pinball arcade but you could buy a season pack and you get a discount and it's not clear that they're going to do that for stern pinball arcade i i mean again if you're just weighing a table and it's like eh, it's 10 bucks it's 10 bucks whatever i'll probably pick up tables when they're on sales that's been what I've done with the pinball arcade. It's what I've done for most of my Zen pinball tables. Uh, that's the sort of, they're not, they're not, uh, if they do it like the pinball arcade, they're not really super stingy with their sales in terms of, I think at least on Steam, there's usually a sale a year on the pinball arcade. Uh, so it's not the most frequent thing that constantly goes on sale, but um, I see. I think Zend is a little more active in, in doing discounts on for specific packs and stuff. Like for um, you know, uh, May the Fourth be with you. They had Star Wars packs on sale, uh, so yeah, there there'll probably be some ways to get it down a bit if you're willing to wait. But otherwise, no, it's not. It's not exorbitant, but it is exorbitant for virtual pinball. Yeah, it, it, it's not insane but compared to some of what's out there it's just a little higher than most people are used to i mean speaking throwing going back to overwatch overwatch is 60 bucks and it's something i'm in debate if i'm going to do or not and the thing to get six tables is 60 bucks is a i mean some of the tables yeah i'd play them a bunch but when i play them as much as i'd likely play overwatch uh i don't know it's going to be an interesting bit to see I'm sure they'll do well, though. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I admit I'm looking forward to it. I've been playing a lot of Zen stuff at the uh, on the on my tablet. I, I really like. I've got a big tablet. I've got one of the big 12 inch tablets, and I think it's pretty much the perfect thing for playing virtual pinball. And so I play a lot of it on there. So it's probably where I'm going to end up getting this when it comes out. Is I'm going to get it on that on my tablet. Well, that concludes our video game segment, so let's go to the third and final segment. But do not let me forget, we did miss a pinball topic, so we will go back and touch on that after we get through segment number three. And segment three is tabletop games. So, Tony, you are our resident tabletop expert. What should we talk about? Well, I think we should open up with some Kickstarter updates that have come out uh, recently. Uh, noisy person cards that we talked about last week, uh, had not hit its goal at that time. It has now hit its goal. It actually hit it this afternoon. So it is uh, got 11 days left to go. It's hit its primary goal. So that game will be coming out. So if you have any interest in it and you haven't backed it yet, you can now be guaranteed that it's going to be coming your way if you do back it. 
Yeah, that, they must have done it fairly late in the day. I actually watched. Uh, I think I checked just before I left to go to the four or three pinball tournament, and it still it was oh it was real close, but it was still you know, I think it was two hundred dollars short or so. Yeah, it crossed at like five thirty or six o'clock this afternoon evening oh, okay. or something like that. I I looked at it this morning or earlier today, and it was like they were like eighty two dollars short. So I decided to check it again an hour or two later, and they crossed it. The other thing, uh, the other Kickstarter update actually predates this podcast. Um, <clears throat> I've talked about it in the past that I backed the Planet Mercenary RPG game, which is based on the Schlock Mercenary comic strips. And it looks like that they're uh, starting to uh, close things down before their move to production. So they're still looking at having it shipped out by fall. But no exact dates yet. But I'm looking forward to it because I actually had an idea come into my head that it would be a good for a sci-fi game. And I don't actually own any sci-fi RPGs other than uh, I, I own one that I'll talk about at a later date because it's just so insane. We'd have to go deep into it. But it wouldn't work for this idea. So I've actually started sketching out an idea for a campaign once I get this game in my hands and then I'll just have to do the hard part, which is finding players. Yeah. That's always the big challenge with, with those sort of things. Um, we don't, well, we do with group get togethers. We do tend to play a number of tabletop things from time to time. RPGs are not one of them. No RPGs are something that we'll have to set up and do at another, they'd have to do something standalone compared to our normal thing. I, uh, have been covering my, uh, itch as it were my uh rpg itch typically uh for the last couple of years by going to CantCon here in kansas city and i'll go and spend a day or two playing nothing but rpg games and uh i will be attending again this year uh, this year it runs july 22nd through july 24th i will be there on the 22nd and the 23rd all day both days um, I haven't decided which games I'm going to sign up for because there's still a lot of games that haven't been announced yet, but I plan on spending most of my time getting my little RPG scratched. Oh, so. yes. I th I'm thinking I may be able to make one of those days. My calendar looks clear for those dates. Uh, I haven't looked yet to see what, uh, what day might most appeal to me to go and do. I don't know if I'd do two days though. Yeah, well, I've gotten to the point where I, I started out the first year I went. I just one, did one day, and I played one or two RPGs and a whole lot of board games. And then the second year I went, I went hardcore. I was there just after open on both days, and I played RPG. I played RPGs the whole day. I mean, all day long. I and I had a blast last year. Uh, I played some insane games that were just completely nuts. Yeah, I remember you telling me about about a number of them, and that's the part that I want I want to do the most. And then we'll actually get to to talk about some RPGs for once. Which, um, even though we you know we've always focused a lot on these uh, sort of more approachable, easier to bring people in tabletop formats. That obviously I'm using that very loosely because 
last episode we was uh, about the mini figure tabletop games, which is pretty complicated. But RPGs are probably my biggest roots back, um, you know, to the old uh, AD and D days. And so, while I don't do RPG much anymore, I do have a historic tie to it, and I think it might be time once more to break out those skills and see if I can still actually do it. Yeah, I found actually, because uh, I started playing RPGs back in the mid-90s, uh, I played a lot of the Battletech RPG, and I played a lot of the old West End Games uh, Star Wars RPG, and those were actually my starts. My starts in RPGs were sci-fi, and then I went to D&D. And, I mean, I recall at one point in time, uh, much later than that, uh, we were we had a pretty long running D and D third edition, not even three point five third edition game that we ran for quite a long time. Yeah, that was one that we did until uh, one of our players moved away. So yeah, but it was I remember I'd make up some maps and stuff when I I think we rotated who would DM. So. Yeah, we were rotating DMs. I think that was part of the issues. There was only three of us, so we rotated DMs and we ran NPC heavy and but. It was a lot of fun. It was also fun because we kept doing weird things. and Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we got, we'll use the word creative. We got pretty creative with those rules. Yeah. I mean, when there's only, when, when there's only three of you playing, it, you play with it a little bit. It was a lot of fun. That was the best part, though. I mean, I, I recall having my dwarf hold a door partially shut while everybody shot through the crack to kill all the mummies that were coming at him. Yeah. I also just remember the, uh, the, our, our third player, when I would DM, I swear he went out of his way to try and break, break my, uh, encounters. Just that, uh, I don't know. It just just seemed like he was just determined to exploit, find and exploit some flaw that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought up. Uh, It was ever so frustrating to try and build around that. And I ultimately, I think I always failed because he would just never give up until he came up with some new weird way to get past some elaborately constructed encounter that I worked ever so hard to do. I I also remember completely and utterly miscounting a distance and having uh, my sorcerer detonate a fireball with him still within rain, radius of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember having a fighting a Medusa and deciding to go full ham on it. Uh, I think, I think the third player was the DM and I decided to go full ham on it, even though it was obviously set up as one of those things we couldn't win. We were supposed to run and I just went full ham on it and it failed as badly as you would think it would. <laughs> it was not the crowning glory of, Oh, well you managed to do it and it was amazing. And no, no, I, I died. I died bad. Yep. No respawns there. <laughs> I, I miss I miss RPGs a lot. That's why I've been doing the going to CantCon, and we'll have uh, links to CantCon for those of you in the Kansas City area who have any interest in com- in going. And they do board games as well, and uh, they've got all the information on their website, and they've got a link so you can go and look at. They do have an online sign up sheet so that you have a description of RPGs that are going on, and you can sign up for them. This ones that interest you the most. So it's definitely going to be a a good time. It was a good time last year and the year before, so I'm looking forward to it. So speaking of RPGs, let's talk a little bit about Threadbare. Now, Threadbare is an interesting thing that I found on, well, I was actually reading up on Kickstarter. 
Threadbare uses, it's on Kickstarter, we'll have the link. It uses a modified version of the Apocalypse World, which I don't know if you've played Apocalypse World. I have played Apocalypse World. Apocalypse World is a very simple um, game system. It's built around 2D6, and so you're not running everything. Everything's off of a 2D6 roll. You do a 2D6, and then you modify it based upon your stats. Uh, But it's a good system and it's designed around being a more narrative game than something that's real crunchy like D and D or Shadowrun, uh, which lets you play with it a lot more, but uh threadbare, their opening line on their Kickstarter is plus your plastic mate in threadbare RPG. You play jury rig toy in a broken stitch together world. And the second I read that the very first thing that popped into my head is this is post apocalyptic toy story. <laughs> Toy Story 4 Apocalypse Now. I mean, the whole the game is based around and and it, it's a standard RPG, but when you get injured or damaged, you have to be sewn up or patched up or other parts put in and some of the stuff they have listed is like, "Oh, your arm got ripped off, but it, 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 it's it's okay. There's a Barbie arm over here that kind of fits, so we'll go ahead and glue this Barbie arm on so you've got your arm back. But that Barbie has some of the personality of Barbie, so now you've got a pers- another personality changing who you are and changing your character and fighting for control of your mind while you continue playing. Or uh, you're, a be- you're a teddy bear who's all sewn together and patched together from three or four different bears and all sorts of stuff. It's just... It, it it seems like a simple and fun game that could go from being something that's super cutesy to just full on wrong, wrong. And I, I, I just, it sounds amazing. Um, they have passed their goal. They're about to hit their first stretch goal and they've got, th- this is a pretty long run Kickstarter. Uh, as of today, they have 32 days to run because it ends on June 8th of 2016. Um, if you do sign up for this particular Kickstarter, uh, they will, you can get a beta test version of the rules to print out and test because they're having their Kickstarter people help them beta test it and the money and stuff. Cause the game is pretty much ready. They're just doing beta testing and then art stuff is most of it. Mm-hmm. But I just, it just seems like such a great idea. I just, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a, there's a picture, somebody out on the internet. Of Woody smoking a cigarette, holding a revolver and a and a bottle of whiskey. No, and I, and I just have a vision of that, or of Buzz Lightyear all dolled up with his armor all cracked and tore up, like the Space Marines from a uh, uh, Warhammer or the Space Marines from uh, Starcraft, and this and that, and you know, Stokey chomped in his get as he's walking around, armor's all tore up. <laughs> hauling around pieces of people they've taken. I don't know. It seems, I mean, it could, it, it could be completely different than I'm thinking, but in my head, that's the first thing that came in. And I just, if the, with the way it sounds like, I like the sounds of the rules and the stitching up and using different parts from different toys. Like, yeah, that's the most interesting aspect. Yeah, because there's, I know on their webpage, they've got a little, like a short story. I don't even call it a short story. It's like three paragraphs. And it's, uh, and it's a nurse, 
uh, or a doctor stuffed animal that's sewing up another stuffed animal. And in the waiting room is a bulldozer that has lost a wheel but has a Barbie head or a baby doll head that it's going to use to replace the wheel because it couldn't find a real wheel. So it's and they're kind of talking back and forth and it goes into their heads and it just it just sounds like a cute little game that can go for me. Oh, this is so cute. Oh, we love each other. And we're making this wonderful thing to die. Yeah. <laughs> to infinity and beyond is Buzz's new state. Oh, infinity and beyond. Infinity warfare. Oh, oh, it so, all comes together. We pulled it all together. We brought everything right. back around. That's right. It's Infinite amazing. Infinite warfare is that's the infinity circle is now complete. <laughs> so speaking of circling let us do a and because i'm far too lazy to edit the podcast and drop it in to make it seem completely seamless let's circle back to pinball because we completely neglected to mention that we both watched the dead flip live stream of the ghostbusters limited edition gameplay which was a, a first for people to experience so tony uh what were your thoughts Watching John Trudeau lose a ball to the Trudeau Gap was one of the greatest things yeah. to happen to me this week. <laughs> that was pretty funny, especially because uh, at 403, they have the Ghostbusters Pro. And what did I, how did I lose my very first ball? I, I, I just let it, it just, you know, I thought I was going to be okay. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that gap's too big. Bloop. Yeah, that was uh, uh, the second that happened. I was just arms up in my chair, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was interesting. Uh, at first, it, I actually thought that the Magnus slings were pretty good. Uh, I thought maybe they'd be a lot more. They weren't as crazy as I was afraid. I was afraid they were just going to be like stupid, insane. That was my big fear with Magnus slings. But it looks like they act pretty normal for the most part until the slings are lit up. And then the, when the ball gets in there, that's when it does weird stuff. Otherwise, it acts pretty normal. Yeah, I uh, I'd misunderstood from the when we saw the test footage of the slings, and I guess it's probably because of how they had it set in test mode, where I guess the magnets were always active. It seems that they only actually trigger when the leaf switch is closed, when the when the slings hit. So they are not wider in effect than than a normal sling, like a sling on the pro. In fact, I think in the chat commentary on Twitch, some people were noting or concerned that it seemed like they weren't firing very much. And it looked like, I guess, to those that were zooming in or asking questions, uh, that there was only one switch on each sling. On, on a normal sling, there's actually two, one at the top and one at the bottom, so that if the switch is close, closed, then it kicks the, kicks the band back out to push the ball away. So with only needing one switch, and that switch had to close to tell the magnet to do whatever it wants to do, meant that the ball doesn't just roll near the sling and all of a sudden the magnet starts screwing with it, which is what I thought was because that, well, that was what was happening in the test. So that's why I thought, Oh, okay. I could see why like professional players are not going to want to play on an LER or a premium because all of a sudden the slings aren't just the slings. They're actually like an inch wider than normal slings, but that that's not actually the case. Yeah. Cause I was thinking the same way from watching the same video that you had, that that was going to be how things go. And like you said, no, that's definitely, I thought it looked really good. I thought Jack had a most amazing ball I think I've ever seen in my life, especially for a machine that's barely that he hadn't played till then. I mean, that, that whole, that score, that, that ball and everything was awesome. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he is a professional. 
That's what that's all. Awesome. He's professional straight. He's a professional player at this point. Well, we've fully elevated him uh, to uh, demigod status on play. In fact, I think he posted a link uh, somewhere. It might have been on Pinside. It might have been on Facebook. I don't recall where it actually jumps to that time timestamp where he's he's being awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, if I had something like that, I would too. I'd be like, look at me. I mean, it was it was a great. It was ball. epic. Oh yeah, it, no, it, it, it was epic. There, there's nothing. I'm not saying anything bad. It was truly oh, an no. amazing. It was. Ball. It was. I was really glad he had it because it let us see so much of what the game had to offer on a play and how you know a lot of concerns that have been coming up from people who have been playing the pros on location is that the game may be too hard and may turn people off but what some people have said is it is a, it is a hard game it can be seen as a drainy game but it is a game that always has the potential to open up really big for people and while Jack's skills are very, very good, it's not like he put in a whole ton of time on the LE before the stream or anything. So it just showed how someone can adapt and actually learn these uh, these modes, learn how to control the ball, and can you know maybe you only have one good game out of ten, but that one is one you're going to want to share. Yeah, that that was definitely. And the other thing is, it was a lot harder to see, uh, but the ecto goggles uh, looked pretty cool. There was a lot of glare when they tried to put the camera on it, so you couldn't really see it very well. But what little bit you could make out, I think it'll work out pretty, pretty good. All in all, I, I was real happy with seeing how well that LE played overall. I think, I think the premium is going to probably get, end up being the go-to game for Ghostbusters. I don't know yet in terms of overall how people will respond. I think that I w- my take was the slings, uh, seeing them actually on the LE probably comforted a lot of people that were getting nervous about it. I think to me, the slings are the only major element that in terms of if I were to buy – that's the thing that makes me want a premium are the slings. The I liked I you know I in the past expressed a lot of interest in the hollow thing. I thought it looked cool. I saw some separate stuff outside of the stream that gave me a better view of it. But it's so it's so minimalist. It's not enough to make me think. Oh, I'll re- I'd really regret not having that. Uh, and of course, the light show is great on the LE because the light shows are always better on the premium and LEs. Uh, but the Magnus slings, I just think that 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 cleverness is what is so compelling to going with a premium model. And I think it, I think it'll do very well. And I think people that were concerned about the Magnus Lean's being awful are probably by and large satisfied after seeing this sort of footage. Now, whether or not they think it's an interesting enough gimmick that they actually want to own it uh, remains to be seen. But I think for anyone who's still, upset about the Magnus slings for whatever reason, you know, there can be plenty of reasons why they may not like the idea of it. The pro doesn't do it. And the pro is already available. And a lot of people are buying the pros. And we got, we got two of them on location. There's a pro at four Oh three club. And it turned out pizza West got a pro here in the Kansas city area, which I haven't had a chance to go and play his yet, but, um, well, and in addition to those, I think there's at least one more pro on at PowerPlay. I think PowerPlay has a pro You're right. as well. You're right. They do. They do. And I believe the 403 Club's uh, pro will be changing to a premium once the premium arrives. So that's it's temporarily a pro. But so we'll actually get a chance to experience the Magnus Lings once that's in place, which is exciting. But that that won't be for some time yet because it's not an LE order. I believe it's a premium order, and those aren't on the line. So we'll have to wait a while for that. Yeah, that's a 
Uh, definitely something I'm looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to getting some more game time in on Ghostbusters, obviously because of uh, real life intruding with me being on call and everything. I haven't been able, I wasn't able to go to 403 and I haven't been able to play Ghostbusters at either of the locations uh, that I commonly go to since they got there. But I'm definitely going to get it as soon as I can. Well, I'm sure they will be sitting around on location for quite a while because those things l- were sucking up quarters, <laughs> just like Game of Thrones, where we've got a couple of Game of Thrones out on location. That's just Stern's had a couple of pretty big successes as near as I can tell from our own local area. And seeing, when I look to see what are people playing when there's downtime, what do they most gravitate towards? Uh, obviously, Ghostbusters now and uh, Game of Thrones has been doing very well. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good time to be into pinball. And uh, we'll see how the rest of the year goes. That's right. And if you all listening are into pinball or video games or tabletop games, you need to remember to go to iTunes or Stitcher or both. And please give us a rating and review. We are trying to expand the podcast's listener base. And apparently their algorithms factor something like that in. Uh, So anyway, please go and do that. Even if you don't regularly listen through those means, if you're like me, you download podcasts with podcast software to your phone and listen that way. But and I guess maybe iPhones use the iPhone setup for, for that. I don't know. I've got an Android. But but please go and do that. Uh, as a reminder, you can reach out to us if you want to email us. Our email address is eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. We also uh, have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. Um, I think, uh, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, we have a Twitter, don't we, Tony? Yes, we've got a Twitter. We're at eclectic underscore gamers. Um, I haven't updated it very well this week. I've just been so busy, and I need to get better at getting into that every day. But you can reach us through any of those venues, and we will be glad to hear from you. We also are available now through Google Play Music. They uh, they finally launched that. I've known it's been in the works for a while. I do actually see it when I load Google Play Music, not Google Play, but Google Play Music uh, on my Android phone. You can go to it to the website as well. No rating review system there to my knowledge, but uh, I have no idea if anyone is actually using that to listen to podcasts. And since it's so new, I imagine it's just something that Google's trying to grow. But we are listed there as well. So if that is a method you like to get your music and podcasts by, you can get us through it at this point. I have checked and they all seem to be working just fine. So we're we're everywhere. We're just we're we're everywhere. In the grim dark future of Pixar, there is only post apocalyptic horror. That's right. And one podcaster's arm has been replaced by a Barbie arm. It's a teeny T-Rex Barbie arm. And now I need to say goodbye to everyone and go back to my Malibu dream house and remind everyone that we will, assuming the apocalypse doesn't take us all, uh, be back in probably two weeks, most likely back on our regular recording schedule rather than being a day early. Uh, But until then, I'm Dennis and I'll say goodbye, everyone. And I'm Tony and I'll say goodbye, everyone. And bye, Ken!